This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm so excited. We are in you know, 2024 already, and we're approaching the eight-year anniversary of this podcast. I think I did the math on that correctly. It has been an amazing journey and will continue to be an amazing journey, bringing you stories from people who've lived through really difficult things that, you know, as we hear them, we're wondering how people even got through it. But the beauty of this podcast is that people share that they did get through it and they are getting through things and how they were affected by their experience. And so today's guest, Allison Hansen, is a pediatric clinical pharmacist, wife and mother of two. And she's sharing her story. And I think it's a really powerful one because not only did she work in the NICU, but then had the experience of having children go through the NICU. And what I've heard from a lot of people who work in nursing or medical environments, after they've gone through something themselves, you know, it brings a totally different perspective to the work that they do, but also they're like, like therapists, like anybody who is in a helping profession, you think that, you know, or you're going to know enough to cope and deal with stuff if you go through it. But the experience of going through something just brings up so many other dynamics and things for that individual. And it's just so hard to know how you're going to cope. So Allison practiced as a clinical pharmacist in the neonatal intensive care unit for six and a half years, and she was blindsided by severe postpartum anxiety and PTSD that she experienced after her daughter was born premature and spent three weeks in the NICU. And then after working through a lot of healing, she was again blindsided by her son's traumatic birth that resulted in a four-week NICU stay. And postpartum anxiety and PTSD ensued again. And she really hopes that sharing her story will help others who work in healthcare and that if they struggle returning to work after facing things like postpartum anxiety or PTSD. And like a lot of people in healthcare or in helping professions, uh, because we have training and because we have knowledge, there's a propensity for us to just push through and keep going. Not that other people don't do that as well, but it's just a different dynamic when you know very intimately the dynamics of somebody else's care and how we can sometimes talk ourselves out of getting the help that we need ourselves. So let's meet Allison. Welcome, Allison. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Kat. I'm so excited to be here. I really am. I've listened to your podcast for several years and this is like a dream to me. Oh, that's super cool. Well, I am. I know we're going to get to hear about how you got to even find this podcast and what was going on for you, but I'm so glad it was supportive for you. Very much. So yeah, just go ahead and start wherever you'd like with your story. Sure. 
So I went to pharmacy school, graduated and did a year of general residency and decided that I wanted to specialize in pediatrics. So I did a second year to specialize in pediatric pharmacy specifically and got my first job in Florida as a clinical pharmacist in the neonatal intensive care unit. We had a huge NICU at the hospital I practiced at, and I just fell in love with the NICU. I was passionate. I was an advocate for the NICU and for pharmacy clinical practice. And I absolutely loved it. I loved the tiniest of babies. We had a special service just for 22, 23, and 24 weekers. And I loved nothing more than contributing to their medical care and seeing them grow and eventually thrive and get to go home. And I still keep in touch with some of the families of the babies that I was part of the team taking care of years ago. I taught pharmacy students, medical students, residents. I lectured locally and nationally. Like this was my dream. And my husband and I decided that we wanted to move back up to Boston to be closer to home for both of us as we were thinking about starting a family. So I got a position in the neonatal intensive care unit as a pharmacist back here in Boston. And we very soon after that got pregnant with my daughter. This was a couple of years ago in 2019. So mm-hmm. pre-COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. And everything was great. I definitely had some anxiety during the pregnancy, but it seemed in proportion to what you would expect for someone who worked in a NICU and saw sick babies every day. You know, sometimes I would get worried that my baby would have this like rare genetic condition that we had seen twice in one week in the NICU. And my OB was amazing, so supportive, validated my worries and made me feel better. So everything was like manageable and things were really uncomplicated until my 34 week OB appointment when my blood pressure was a little bit elevated and my OB sent me to the hospital to have some tests run. I thought it seemed very drastic to go to the hospital for like a little bit of elevated blood pressure. I was completely fine. I had literally walked there from work like a mile or so. I felt fine. I thought maybe it was just from the walk. It was elevated. So I went to the hospital. They did some tests. They sent me home to do a 24-hour urine collection, which I had never heard of before. But basically, I had to just collect all of my urine for the next 24 hours to bring back to the hospital to have them test it for protein. And so 24 hours later, I went back to drop off my specimen. They checked my blood pressure and said, you're not going anywhere. You're staying here. And I was so shocked. I literally had my lunch packed for work the next day. Like there was no place in my mind where I was not going to work the next day. And they told me that I had preeclampsia, which was diagnosed by the level of protein in my urine, as well as my blood pressure being even more elevated that next day. And so I got admitted to the hospital at 34 weeks. And I was just like, completely shocked as much as I had had like some anxiety about random rare genetic conditions, like I never thought that I would have potentially have a premature baby. And everything I just found that having worked in a NICU made everything so much worse because my mind went 10 steps beyond where we were in that moment. Oh, sure. Right. And my husband has no medical background. So for example, the doctor came in and said, all right, we're going to administer some medicine to help your baby's lungs mature. And I was like, you're giving me steroids. Oh my goodness. I started crying hysterically. And the doctor was like, why are you freaking out? Like, this is a good thing. We're helping you. But in my mind, I knew that that meant that the doctor thought I was going to deliver my baby soon. And that's why they were giving the steroids. And I just, everything went so much farther in my brain, every intervention. So I got admitted to the hospital and every day my blood pressure went up and up and eventually ended up delivering, being induced to deliver at 34 weeks and six days. How long had you been in the hospital at that point? I was in the hospital for five into six days Uh before I was induced. They were basically just monitoring to try and get me as close to full term as possible, but had a low threshold that if my blood pressure progressed or the preeclampsia progressed and I had any like severe symptoms that they would induce me and get the baby out. And so it kind of felt like a ticking time bomb those Mm -hmm. five days, just kind of waiting for that blood pressure to go up and Mm -hmm. I was super anxious, of course, but then also worried that that would make my blood pressure go up. It was a bad cycle. It was almost 
It was actually a relief when they finally pulled the trigger and said, you're being induced, we need to get Mm -hmm. the baby out, which I felt terrible about at the time, because I didn't want to have a 34 weeker. But I finally had some peace from the anxiety of wondering if today would be the day. Oh, gosh, right. Yeah, that is a lot of buildup. So I mean, with your background, like you said, being 10 steps ahead, or however many steps ahead, how could you possibly be sort of just not even in the moment, nobody's in the moment in those times anyways, but Mm -hmm. how could you not be worrying about a million different things? Exactly. you, You know too much. When you know too much, it's just like all bets are off. Exactly. I couldn't just turn that part of my brain off. I asked the medically questions, you know, I asked about what antibiotics I was going to get and what dose and this and that. And it was just, it was really hard to go from being a clinical pharmacist one day to being a patient with potentially about to have a NICU baby the next day. And it turns out that got even harder when she was born. And of course, ended up having to go to the NICU because she was premature. And I remember asking them, they had her on CPAP. So like non-invasive respiratory support in her nose, which is very expected for her gestational age. And I had literally just delivered her. And I remember looking over and asking the respiratory therapist, how much CPAP is she on? Respiratory therapist, like, He's fine, honey. Like, what do you work in medicine? I was like, yeah, I'm a NICU pharmacist. It just couldn't turn that part of my brain off. And so when she was in the NICU, I thought that would serve me, like that that would be helpful, but I knew what was going on. I knew what to expect for a 34-weeker. And realistically, they do extremely well. She was a perfect size. She had no medical complications beyond being a couple weeks early. And I literally, as a NICU pharmacist, I called the our 34, 35 weekers just our cute babies. They're just cute babies. They're just here to, you know, make us all smile and be cute. And they just have to grow a little bit. And sometimes I actually, if I was having like a rough day with our, you know, really sick babies in the NICU, I would take my student or resident on cute baby rounds. And we would just go look at these adorable, seemingly pudgy 34, 35 weekers, because they look like giants compared to our 24 weekers. And they just looked great and so healthy. And they just needed to work on feeding. And it was like, it was not a big deal. But when I got rolled into that NICU to see my 34 weeker, it was like, just earth shattering. I was devastated, just Mm -hmm completely. And I think having that expectation that she's going to be fine, I'll handle this fine made it even harder because I was not fine. It was horrible. It was just felt just completely unnatural to be separated from her. And everything about being in the hospital postpartum is about being with your baby. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, she was separated. So it was, you were like, this is not what you envisioned. It's not what you wanted. It's not like, and everything has happened so relatively quickly that there's hardly even any time to adjust. Exactly. And I became very obsessed with how much she was eating, how many MLs, because that's how my brain works. I do math in my head all the time. And I'm constantly calculating how many ml she ate, how much more she has to eat, what her minimum would be. I mean, I was texting my NICU dietitian friend, like just completely absorbed in like the science of her being in the NICU. And then yet my heart would just feel completely shattered every single night when I had to leave the NICU. And I actually ended up back in the hospital in triage the day after I was discharged with what I thought was preeclampsia. Again, I thought I was having preeclampsia symptoms like headache and nausea. And it turned out to be a panic attack that I didn't realize at the time from being separated and being so just distraught, but also not understanding why I was distraught because she was fine. And this was like the assumption that is that you would, this is an environment that you were used to. Yeah. It's not like something new you had to learn. Exactly. But it was exactly, new for you. exactly. But I felt like I should know what I mean. It shouldn't mm. be a big deal. She's a 34 and six. She's like, perfect. She's going to come home soon. She's fine. But yet in my brain responded as if she was like, it was a life or death situation. I don't know. It's like very strange to even describe how devastating it was for me to have my baby in the NICU and Mm -hmm. to come home and have the bassinet 
and not have a baby, to wake up in the middle of the night to pump without my baby. Everything about it was just horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. Right. This is not how it's supposed to be. No, exactly. And I had no idea after working in NICU for years. And I think it was self-preservation so I could do my job and good at my job and focus at work that I didn't see this like absolute trauma that families are going through. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Yeah, if I can't, I'm thinking of like maybe a handful of people that I've worked with in particular who work in the medical field and then had their kids. So this is like, you know, emergency room folks or other like pediatric type environments. Mm -hmm. This same, I think in some ways, like being in the medical field, there's like a part of you that has to do that. It has to figure out how to cope in really difficult situations and scenarios. Not like you're cold or cut off. It's just like you have to be at work and focus because Mm -hmm. you're taking care of people. And then when like that humanity rushes in of your own experience and same for the other folks that I'm thinking of, there's, it's almost that much worse. And not to be like compare people's pain or trauma, but when you know too much, Mm -hmm. your brain goes all over the place with it about all of the possibilities and all like all the things you've seen before all could even start rushing back in of mm-hmm. other people's trauma. Oh, absolutely. It's exactly what I experienced. And I felt so alone because anyone I tried to explain how distraught I was to would say, well, she's fine. She look at her. She looks great. She's beautiful. She's perfect. Like she's going to be home soon. Some people even said, take this time to sleep while you can before your baby's home, which was probably the worst thing that you could possibly say, because I have never slept less in my life than when my babies were in the NICU. And I actually... There was one person finally who validated how I felt. And it was a nurse practitioner who worked in the NICU. She worked in the NICU where my daughter was. And she also actually worked in the NICU where I work. A lot of folks kind of go back and forth between a couple of different NICUs in the area. And she said to me, she looked me in the eyes and said, nothing will be right until your baby comes home. And that was the only comforting thing that anyone said to me. So she was in the NICU for three weeks. She came as a very typical, expected, like normal 34-weeker NICU stay. But for me, it was just earth shattering. Right. And understandably so. And did it feel okay when she came home? Or was that the next experience of not okay? So when she came home, everything was perfect. Everything was perfect. In hindsight, I now 
can see some signs of like anxiety Mm -hmm. and some PTSD starting to creep in. But in the moment, my entire maternity leave was perfect. I was with her every moment, every day. And it was perfect. We were in our little bubble. Mm -hmm. And I just loved every second of it. I did start to have some guilt if I did step away for a little bit that I felt like I didn't deserve to step away or go anywhere without her because I had missed that three weeks while she was in the NICU. And I became very obsessed with the numbers of like how many nights I was separated from her, how many hours the first day of her life I was separated from her. And like, you know, how many hours she was without me during her first week. Like I just like became very obsessed with that. And it was almost like I owed back this time as a mother because I had lost all of this time as a mother. From my understanding was at night you went home uh, from the NICU, but were you there for quite a bit of the day during the day? Yes. All day, every day from when I woke up to when I went to bed. And I had a really hard time stepping away for to get a coffee or to get lunch. I actually now again, in hindsight, realized I had a panic attack leaving to go to Starbucks in the hospital, just physically leaving the NICU. There was just something about being separated from her that was just clearly very, very triggering for me. And so I just wasn't separated from her ever my whole maternity leave. And it was perfect. And I didn't let anyone do anything. And Mm. I didn't have other kids. And I was just all in like, and it worked at that time. (laughs) But then... (laughs) Uh Of course, I went back to work and everything came crashing down. I went back. I had 12 weeks off. I asked for an extra week and I went back to work after 13 weeks. And I knew it was going to be hard. People said it was hard, but I kind of compensated for that by trying to like dive in even harder back to my job in the NICU. And so... I went straight back into the NICU, back full time at work. And I thought it was normal that I was crying on my way to work, crying on my way home. I knew it was hard. It wasn't going to be easy for anybody. I did talk to my OBGYN about going on medication for anxiety, which she happily prescribed for me and somewhat helped, but not really. She did want me to see a therapist also, but it was really hard to find a therapist who like took my insurance who was accepting new patients and who I connected with. I had seen one time while my daughter was in the NICU and it was just not a good connection. And it gave me more anxiety leaving her to go to therapy. (laughs) So I kind of just wrote it off, thought the medication would help and that would be fine. And then COVID came along and everything shut down, which served me really well. (laughs) I I don't know a lot of people who COVID was good for, but it was actually really good for me and my little family bubble. My mother-in-law stayed and helped take care of my daughter who was six months old. Daycare was closed. My husband was working fully from home and I was working partially from home, partially going in. When I did go in, I didn't really go to the NICU. I was like just in the pharmacy because we were kind of, you know, pulling people back not trying to interact with as many people. And it was great because I wasn't in the NICU and I wasn't being triggered by that, like, you know, constant reminder of when she was in the NICU. So it came at a good time. So going back a little bit to when you did go back to work, what was your emotional experience being back in the NICU? It's hard to remember, honestly, which I think is probably just a part of my trauma. But what I remember is feeling like I felt like my baby was in the NICU again. Like it felt when I saw a parent in the NICU, it felt like it was me. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. And it manifested as like having a physical reaction, like crying, of course, was like very common feeling nauseous or like headache or my heart pounding, which again, now in hindsight, I realized were manifestations of panic attacks. I'd never had that before in my life. So I didn't really know what was going on. It didn't make sense to me. And I was like, this is just weird, Allison. Like, what is wrong with you? Your baby is fine. She's home. She's thriving. She's perfect. Literally has no complications, like a very uncomplicated NICU stay. And you're having, you know, you're crying right now in the bathroom because you're seeing these other parents with their babies who are like actually sick and, you know, 
thicker than your baby was. And I felt like I just suppressed it because it didn't make sense to me. And I felt like I had no right to be that distraught. I think I wonder anyways, if like part of it's hard and this was even true for me going back to work, like going from after I had my daughter, it's like when you're at home, if you've had a traumatic experience, but for sure, but like if you're at home and you're there and you're like open and vulnerable and you're like, your heart is fully open and then you have to Mm -hmm. go back into a work environment where you cannot, and it's not good for Mm -hmm. you to be like that vulnerably open. It's like, not only is thinking of your situation now, it's hard to like shift back and forth between like home, open, loving, you know, mom state and back into work environment, which is not where your head, I mean, your head is there because it has to be there and you're you're trained well enough that you can go there and do Mm -hmm. your job. But there's a part of you that's still just like open. Yes. And like feeling deeply. That's such a good way to put it that you kind of need, and things much better with my second in some ways with my second child. When I returned to work, I did so in like a part-time fashion. And I'm kind of now envisioning that as like a period for mothers to kind of help close their heart back up a little bit Mm -hmm. slowly Mm -hmm. and mentally prepare yourself really to go back into any job after you've been all in in maternity leave Mm -hmm. and gone through Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you've gone through. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point that I definitely went back and I was my heart was wide open. I was super vulnerable. Yeah. And I didn't have any adjustment period. And I coped with this by just beating myself up and like pushing myself harder to be the NICU pharmacist that I was before I had my daughter. I was like, just pushed harder and harder and worked longer and just really fought it because this was my career and it was so important to me. And I knew I wanted to be a working mom. This was like my life. And how can I be having to leave rounds to go cry in the bathroom because this baby just failed their car seat challenge. And that was like devastating to me when Mm -hmm. my daughter failed her car seat test, when they make them sit in their car seat for an hour and make sure like they're stable, which is like, a very normal, like not life or death situation. But for me, it was devastating. And I ended up having to like leave rounds because I was triggered by a baby who failed their car seat test. And it just like, just didn't make sense to me. Right. So you're the traumatic nature of your experience is just being pulled up all over the place um, while you're at work. Exactly. And then very quickly, like beat down and like, you know, not handled. I was like, stop, you need to get it together and move on. And so I would like, cry a little bit, go back and just kind of hold it all in. I also found that I was triggered by very, what I thought were like very random, weird things. For example, I remember the purple lunchbox that they gave us to carry our breast milk in back and forth to the NICU. And I saw a woman with the exact same lunchbox. And like, all of a sudden, I felt like I was going to the NICU to see my baby. Like it literally just, and it's so different. Now I know the difference between what these were flashbacks versus like a memory. Now I have memories of the NICU, but these were true flashbacks in the sense that like my body felt like I was there. Mm -hmm. It was so weird. Right. It's super, super like jarring. Yes. I didn't know what to do with it. And so I thought it would just go away with time. And after a couple of months back at work, like a two and a half months, COVID hit and the shutdown happened, which pulled me out of the NICU conveniently. Uh And everything kind of felt better because I wasn't in the NICU. So of course that came to an end after, it was a couple of months that we were sort of like really shut down and then things kind of picked back up again at the hospital and I went back into the NICU again and these things were still happening and these thoughts and these flashbacks and these weird kind of seemingly like small triggers that were just causing like a huge reaction in my brain. And so my daughter was about nine months at this point when I finally started seeing my therapist. And I remember the first time I met with her, of course, this is now in full-blown COVID era. So of course, it's all virtual. And when I met my therapist for the first time virtually and explained what I've basically explained to you, she said, I said, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just I don't get what's happening. Like she's nine months old. She's fine. What is wrong with me? She's like, 
well, you have PTSD. And I said, what? I do not. It's, I mean, that's not women can get PTSD. I literally like thought in my brain that it was for people who like have literally fought in the front lines of a war. Like I did not think my trauma was bad enough to mm-hmm. cause PTSD. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way my baby's fine. How can I have PTSD? But I definitely did. <laughs> so after you learned more about it, was it, were you like, yep, that's exactly. Oh what yeah, for sure. Once I learned what a flashback was and, and it felt so validating for someone to understand when I explained these flashbacks and experiences like yes that's a flashback that's part of your trauma and now four years later I actually find trauma fascinating (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy how your brain works and responds and my brain was in survival mode I Mm -hmm. was my body my brain was trying to survive this trauma as I was going through it and then after the fact I had the ramifications of it kind of coming back up needing to be addressed and seen and processed. And I'm just so fortunate that I found a therapist who I was able to to do that with. And she's been absolutely wonderful. And I can't believe it took me nine months to get there. But I also think, you know, my journey needed to happen the way it happened. And it was well worth it when I finally started seeing her regularly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not an easy road out. It's not like yeah. immediate relief. Like, that's oh, like you were gosh. in the process of learning what had happened to you. Exactly. Um, exactly. And it definitely like got a little worse before it got better. Yeah. Because I needed to like let myself experience those feelings and validate them and stop Mm -hmm. pushing them away and hiding them and fighting through it. Now in hindsight, I'm like, how did I even function? (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) Like, it's crazy what you can do as a survival mechanism. My brain was like, nope, don't have time for that. You need to work, Allison, and go home to your baby. Like, But I'm so much better off now. (laughs) After having worked with a therapist and switched medication to something different that worked better for my symptoms. And I did a lot of brain spotting with my therapist, which was also like, I actually still, I just did it last week too. Even like this much later, it was a really, really helpful technique for me in processing trauma. That's fantastic. There's so many cool ways to to hear. So after you started learning about what was happening for you and started the healing process, how did that shift, if at all, your work environment for you? I continue to be adamant that I'm a NICU pharmacist. I'm staying in the NICU. I'm not taking a break. My therapist advocated for me to take a break from work completely, which I declined. But I also declined like taking a break from the NICU. I was like, no, 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 I can do this. I can fight through it. But as I processed and things kind of came up and, you know, got a little worse before it got better. I did finally realize that I need to step away from the NICU. So it was actually after my daughter's first birthday, she was 13 months old. I'd been with my therapist for a couple of months. I asked still having all of these like flashbacks and they were getting a little bit more manageable with therapy, but of course it takes time. And I asked to be kind of repositioned and cover someone's maternity leave in the cardiac ICU which is funny to think that that was kind of my like my break (laughs) with another ICU. But again, I was just so adamant, like, no, I'm a pediatric ICU pharmacist. Like, this is my job. This is my thing, my identity. Like, how can I let that go? I'm at an amazing children's hospital. So I did that for a couple of months. I left the NICU and I covered the cardiac, pediatric cardiac ICU, which actually was a lot better for me. I did not have the super strong flashbacks you know, I felt a lot more stable. I felt like I was able to work and do my job and like leave it there and have less like intertwined just because it wasn't a NICU. So it wasn't mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. kind of situation that I had been in. And then of course, once I was feeling good, I was like, all right, time to go back to the NICU. <laughs> so I did for some silly reason. I really fought hard to be a NICU pharmacist. And I, by no pressure from my job, I made the decision to go fully back to the NICU, which was manageable. It was very manageable. I had medication. I had tools. I was still seeing my therapist very regularly and things felt okay. I opened up to a couple of the nurse practitioners in the NICU about what I had experienced as well. It felt manageable. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. 
two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts, starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tiny humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Okay. Um, Well, that's great that it got to that point. I think too, like just your question about why you were so adamant on going back. I mean, how much of your life had you already dedicated to this specialty? Yeah. Like years, right? Mm-hmm. You spend so exactly. much time training, effort, yes. energy, money, whatever to exactly. have that training. And then, oh, just going to like, just, oh, yeah, I'm done with that. Like casually, exactly. you wouldn't be able to. <laughs> 100%. I was you know, so highly specialized in my career that it would have been logistically hard to do something else. But also I could not wrap my head around like kind of throwing away all of that training that I had done and how I had worked myself up in my career. And so I had a lot of great support. I had a prescriber who worked with my therapist and I felt well supported and it was manageable. It was not easy. It was still like it was so hard to be in the NICU, but I did not have the panic attacks, the vivid flashbacks anymore. I could kind of see things coming and position myself well. And I mean, therapy truly just changed and really not even exaggerating, like saved my life because I just can't imagine how I would have gotten through this without my wonderful therapist. And- I'm so glad, by the way, that you found somebody who was who you fit well with and that was supportive to you. Oh my gosh. It makes such a difference. It makes a world of difference. I just, I mean, I ended up not being finding someone who took my insurance and paid out of pocket. And I really like struggled with that, you know, financially, if that's really worth it. And it, I've never looked back for one moment because we are just such a perfect fit and it has just completely changed and saved my life and made me whole again. So for me, for my husband, it is completely worth the financial investment. It's worth anything to be able to have someone take care of you in that way. That's great. So when my daughter was 18 months, I was back in the NICU full time and I got pregnant with my son and had an amazing team now supporting me, my husband, my family, you know, my therapist, prescriber, my OB, everyone knew like how hard I've worked to kind of come out on the other side of this. And I felt very well positioned for a second pregnancy was 100% going to stay on my anxiety medication. I, you know, knew the importance of that. And then I was definitely still healing from everything I had gone through. And when I was 28 weeks pregnant, I didn't feel well. I had one of the nurse practitioners in the NICU take my blood pressure at work. And it was like in the 200s over 110, it was like dangerously elevated. So I went straight to the doctors, went to the hospital and was diagnosed with preeclampsia at 28 weeks. And it was the worst case scenario. It was the nightmare that I 
had been reassured was very unlikely. And I was on medication to decrease my risk. I was healthy. My blood pressure was good. Like I just, everyone really reassured me and helped manage, you know, that anxiety over it happening again, because yes, it can happen again, but like, it's much more likely that it won't happen again (laughs) to have preeclampsia or if it does for it to happen much, much later. Mm -hmm. And I was hospitalized at 28 weeks and that was its whole kind of separate and different trauma of itself, myself being hospitalized and separated from my daughter, who I had never spent one single night away from in her entire life. So now, of course, I'm back reliving my NICU trauma, being separated from my daughter. And I mean, it was the worst case scenario. My, my Either my therapist or psychiatrist said to me, well, this is the worst case scenario. So like, it's already happened. (laughs) So let's just like, I mean, nothing else is going to happen. Like you're in the hospital, you have preeclampsia. That's the worst that I could even fathom happening. Right. And so I stayed, I, they monitored me, of course, very closely. I ended up spending two months in the hospital until I was 37 weeks and had my son, which is crazy everyone thought that I would deliver extremely premature baby. I ended up making it to 37 weeks and he still ended up requiring a four week NICU stay. Unfortunately, even though he was not premature, he had other medical complications that were not anticipated. And so again, my worst nightmare (laughs) being a NICU parent again happened. That being said, I had such a good support system this time that like it went down very differently mm-hmm. for me. I was able to recognize like some of those signs of anxiety and like, you know, guilt and fear of being separated. And so the NICU experience itself went was more manageable with all of the support. I just wish that all parents had that level of support and didn't have to suffer like I did the first time alone. Yeah, it's so I mean, right, you don't know what's gonna happen until it's happening. And then still, you don't know what's happening when it's happening. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But like, to be able to have a team in place, for sure, would be awesome. I honestly, I needed more care than my daughter did when she was in the NICU. Like, Mm -hmm. I needed that support and care and I didn't get that. I didn't have that. I mean, she was a healthy 34 weeker. And if anything, I had that a bit more with my son because he did have some medical complications. But you know, having a healthy preemie 34 weeker was just it was still that it can be devastating. And it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Of course, I have had some friends with babies who stay in the NICU who like kind of have an opposite experience and feel somewhat like detached. And I think it just everyone needs to know that their feelings are valid, because no matter what, having your baby in the NICU is not natural. It's not what's supposed to happen. Right? Yeah. And think because of, I guess, the context of your, the first scenario with your daughter, things kind of probably went under the radar like exactly baby's fine quote unquote baby's fine you should be fine you're used to this environment like all of these things would make people assume that you don't need help or that whatever people thinking people do to you know not like i'm not saying people are being insensitive it's just it is much easier to assume that somebody's fine than that they're not or that like they absolutely some help Exactly. And I totally repressed it myself. Mm -hmm. So why would anyone have thought that I was so upset? Yeah. Coping is wild sometimes. It is. It's crazy (laughs) what we're capable of. Uh I honestly like don't even know how I did it. And I continued to work in the NICU after having my son. It was kind of a plus and a minus for me working in the NICU because I went back after my maternity leave with my son straight back to the NICU. My poor therapist is probably like, this girl just (laughs) will not do anything to help herself. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. She was incredibly supportive of me. And of course, ultimately, when I did decide to leave the NICU this past January, when my son was a year, my daughter was 
three and a half. Yeah, my therapist cried when I told her (laughs) that I had decided to leave because it it obviously was something that only I could could decide to do. Right. And I was very uncertain about it. I was very worried. I thought maybe I'll go back. Maybe I'll go back. And my last day in the NICU, I cried on my drive home because I felt such a sense of relief that I would never have to go back there again. And I just couldn't believe it. I thought for sure I would want to go back to being a NICU pharmacist in a couple of years. But I just, the relief was enormous when I finally kind of closed that door and left. Sure. Oh, right. Gosh. It's like only then can you see how much you've been holding on to. Exactly. That's a massive change. It's a big decision, huge decision. And to sort of leave behind that specific training is hard because of the investment. Absolutely. But so far, it sounds like the right decision. It was by far the best decision for me. I still am a pharmacist. I'm actually still in the same hospital that I worked at. I do um, informatics now for investigational drugs. So I work on drugs that are like being studied and under development and kind of building the computer system surrounding that. So it's very removed from direct patient care. And I've found great satisfaction in this job and I can't believe I suffered for as long as I did. (laughs) But truthfully, I do believe that like my journey needed to happen that way. And there was something about being in the NICU that I think it was a part of my healing process, like working in the NICU and being re-exposed to it in some ways helped me to heal, like forced me to heal, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So I certainly don't regret it, but I do look back and think, wow, (laughs) that's a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. It absolutely, it's, I believe, so much harder to heal when you're still in the environment that created the trauma. Yeah, It's just a different kind of process because it's not like, you can be like, oh, well, this thing happened while I was whatever in like X, Y, or Z state or country and you're not there anymore. But when you're in it all of the time, you're in active like battle, just trying to get through. Exactly. Sometimes being re-traumatized and all kinds of stuff can go down. It's amazing that you were able to attend to your healing while still in that environment. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. It is. (laughs) Hard, but pretty cool. And one last thing I think that also kept me in the NICU was that the NICU nurse practitioners particularly were some of the most supportive people in my life, especially during my journey with my son with medical complexities, they were just incredible. They get it. They were available at my beck and call with questions and emotional support and everything. And so part of me working in the NICU, while it was emotionally traumatizing, was also so supportive for me because I had these people around me who understood what I had been through, who cared, who helped me really navigate that. Well, that makes a huge difference. If you're in an invalidating environment, Mm -hmm. it makes, again, things so much harder. So you had people you could talk to or touch base with or who kind of knew. When you feel alone in there, that's a different beast. But to have people that you can sort of be vulnerable with is part of it too, the healing. Absolutely. Yeah. So sharing your story is really powerful and I'm grateful that you're here and doing that with us. And, you know, we're getting, when we hear people's stories, like in this way, there's sure like a lot more detail and we're getting like the, some of the main points of the most difficult stuff, but this was years of your life mm-hmm. that you were walking through and it's a lot to go through and it's a healing process, a healing journey. And maybe you alluded to it before with the brain spotting, but like there's stuff that comes up still, even if you're, Mm -hmm. for me even, years later, that it's just healing is a trip. But I know it was important for you to come in and share your story. And I'd love to know why for you. I mean, this is like a huge part of my healing journey is being in a place where I feel called to share it with other people. And I really just want other just women, everybody to know that postpartum PTSD and experiencing trauma is a very, very real thing. And you don't have to have had a quote unquote bad or tragic outcome to have experienced trauma. Like you can experience trauma 
and then still have like a healthy baby. It's about how you experienced it. And I denied it for such a long time. I didn't think my trauma was bad enough to be able to cause PTSD. I knew something wasn't right. And I just hope that other people can know and understand that anyone can experience trauma and there is absolutely help available in in many different ways for you. Great. Thank you for that. I appreciate you giving hope to other people and know how much it's needed when you're in the depths of this. Absolutely. It really is. And listening to the other episodes of your podcast really did help me through some of the hardest times when I felt very, very alone in some of those early months when I was suffering from PTSD. That's great. I mean, that's other people sharing their stories. And Mm -hmm. now your story will be supportive and helpful to other people who need it. (laughs) I love it. It sucks that any of us go through any of this, but just that you sharing can help somebody else is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you again, Allison, for coming on to share your story. And for those of you who are listening, please do share this episode and this podcast. There are so many people out there who need to know that they're not alone, who don't know that they need to hear stories like Allison's or like the hundreds of other stories that we've had on this podcast. It's one of those things where you sometimes don't know you need something until you have heard it. And then you realize, wow, a lot of this stuff really resonates for me. I wish I had known this or I wish I hadn't felt alone, you know, in my journey. So I encourage everyone to share these episodes. And for those of you who are in the middle of your own suffering right now, please do reach out for help. You can go to postpartum.net and get free resources for support groups and look at the therapist directory. And you can also go to my website, wellmindperinatal.com and look through my course list. There are quite a few options to help you understand what is going on for you, why you feel the way that you feel, and then gain skills and tools and tips that can help you cope, especially if you're awaiting for a therapist. There can be really long waits for therapists right now. And this course is designed specifically for people who need help right now. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.